Theology of the Body Institute, this is the Ask Christopher West Podcast. Welcome back to the Ask Christopher West Podcast. Hey, everybody. We are back to entertain your... Entertain? I don't know if that's the right word. I mean, I know you say entertain questions, but some of these things are not necessarily entertaining (laughs) in that sense of the word. More real heart stuff, life stuff, real issues. Last time we got going on a couple questions and had an extra long episode. If you didn't listen to last week's, get some bonus material. Because <laughs> it was like 45 minutes long. And okay. usually we're, what, 30 or 35 minutes. But anyway, bonus material, good questions. We appreciate you asking them. It is summertime, and the other day, before we get to your questions, you know we like to talk about strange things at the start. Here's <laughs> one of the strangest things that happened the other day. One of the things I love to do in the summertime is go to this creek on, of all places, why does the name of that street, uh, or that road called Creek Road? I don't know. Kind why of a strange they, name, Strange creek name, road. Creek Road. Anyway, there's this beautiful creek on Creek Road where I like to take the kids on hot days in the summer, and we wade in the cold, clear water, and we skip rocks. And we were with my cousin Holly, and she's dearly loved by our family, and we like, like to do adventures with her when she comes to visit. So we took her to one of our favorite creeks and we're skipping rocks. (laughs) I still can't believe this happened. And Isaac, my 12, our 12 year old was bending down to get a rock. Uh And Holly was maybe seven feet behind him. And she went to skip a rock, but she was so certain that because he was so close that her rock was going to go in a, in a different direction, so she didn't even think about it as a problem. But yeah, it, it completely it flew out of her hand in a different direction than she anticipated, with great force. With great force, I saw it. I turned around just in time to see this. She throws the rock, and it hit Isaac right on the head, which was quite a shock for and him. And I heard this conk. <laughs> oh my goodness! And. Oh my God, like uh, my, the vision, in, uh, the, I turn around and I see Holly with a rock in her hand, whip it at my son and whack him in the head. <laughs> Which was unintentional. It was, of course it was unintentional. We, uh, she was trying to skip, <laughs> she was trying to skip a rock. But then Isaac just had blood, like, I don't want to overstate it. It wasn't like spouting like a fountain, but it started drip. Like, he says, is it bleeding? And I... And I look, oh, yeah, it's bleeding. And then, you know how a scalp wound yeah. can bleed pretty uh, profusely. Started dripping down his side of his face and then dripping off his earlobe. And, and I still couldn't see the wound if he needed stitches or yeah. how deep it was because his hair was in the way. And we brought him home to nurse Wendy. <laughs> I wasn't there at the time. but No, yeah. you were home, but you weren't at the, yes, you yeah, were, you were I not was, at the creek. I was there when you got home, and uh, fortunately, the bleeding had already stopped, and it was not that deep of a wound. So no stitches required, and we actually recovered and got on to more fun in our day, but that and was a And now it'll make a fun story to yes. tell on podcasts and in other venues. <laughs> Poor Isaac. No, he's, he's mostly better, but yesterday he was swimming, and he... he dove in the water and was so surprised. Oh, it's like, oh. what is this painful spot on my head? And then he remembered, oh, that's right. That's where I got hit with a rock. 
So be careful. Yeah. Next time you go skipping rocks, don't aim it at somebody else's head. Holly, I love you. I know it was, <laughs> I know it was totally unintentional. Holly. Yes. Okay. So let's get to some of our listeners' questions. Let's start with this one from Erica, who says she starts out with, I would like to say a special thank you to Christopher because your book, Good News, was one of the pivot points in my husband's conversion to Catholicism. You're welcome, Erica. That's always great to hear. Yes. And so she's become a great fan of our podcast, and she has this to say. After two long years of infertility and having one miscarriage, uh, we finally conceived our second child, second meaning the first was lost in miscarriage. She asked, what lights or wisdom can you share with a first-time mom about motherhood and praying through pregnancy? And then she also wants to know if you have any thoughts about the importance of choosing a child's name. Hmm. Well, my love, mm-hmm. I believe you are much more highly qualified mm-hmm. to respond to this. Yeah, well, certainly it's something that a couple parents, you know, pray together through pregnancy for their child. I'm happy to share some thoughts, but I think you should go first Uh, on this one. Well, thank you. I'll see what I can share with you, Erica. I think that clearly we have a tradition of seeing meaning in sufferings as Catholics. Pregnancy, for all its joy and anticipation and just fullness in a literal sense, Mm Sometimes involves also sufferings, whether it's toward the beginning of the pregnancy and the hormones that are going on, or later in the pregnancy with just physical discomforts. All of that is a meaningful prayer of, yes, I say yes to this. Not to mention delivery itself. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We'll get to that, too. Yes to the, the value of this human being for whom you are, in some cases, bearing some sufferings. I think for me, I have experienced a sense of a very particular yes to this child in Mm. each of my pregnancies where I just, and it's not like I seek it out necessarily, but it just has come about that a deep sense of the bond that's going on in this physical reality of pregnancy being a powerful force for a yes to the the role of motherhood throughout this child's life, the yes to this unique individual and all that it will take, which is an unknown to some degree. There are things about parenthood that we know, but there are things that are unknown and that we're saying yes in advance to this utter commitment of motherhood. And that has been a powerful experience. In one of our pregnancies, I actually had Something I would say like um, a contemplative experience where I was quite pregnant, so I had a big round belly, and I almost felt like I could see through Mm. my skin, see through the womb, see that baby in there. And just this overflowing of love for this person that is really just a, when I say contemplative, I mean that it was just sort of, given to me, just this powerful imagery of seeing this person inside me and experiencing the delight of knowing that this is God's gift to me uh, and to us as a couple and to our family. So I think those are just some experiences I can share about that. 
And I think as you're nearing the end of your pregnancy and um, preparing to deliver, I have really experienced something that I feel is certainly linked to the agony in the garden. And I just say that sort of loosely, but a knowledge as the time is coming near that there's going to be a particular suffering involved in the labor and delivery of this child. And I guess, and acknowledging before the Lord, this is scary and almost overwhelming, the thought of going through that. And kind of letting that emotion of whether there's a fear or just a trepidation about experiencing those painful things, letting that out before the Lord and acknowledging it and allowing then also His grace to carry me through those experiences, which, you know, it always has, has carried us through, and the bond of our marriage has carried me through. All five births, deeply bonding experiences mm-hmm. for us, and not just the births, but the the nine months preceding mm-hmm. as well, deeply bonding experiences, not always easy experiences. Mm-hmm. You You said you were making that comparison to the agony in the garden mm-hmm. loosely, and maybe that's a a right qualifier, but I just want to point out also that Jesus himself compares what he's about to go through. He says this at the Last Supper, what I'm about to go through, what we're all, he's speaking to the disciples, what we're all about to go through here. He compares to a woman in labor. Mm. It's like a woman in labor. She she is in travail, but then when she holds the baby, she forgets the travail and she rejoices. Mm-hmm. I, I remember lots of circumstances in the birth of our children of being with you in that travail Mm -hmm. and seeing right before my eyes the transformation when you held our newborn Mm -hmm. baby. Mm -hmm. I remember what, I don't know which child it was, you might remember, where you you were looking at me, and I don't know if you said it or I just kind of internalized what the look was, but the look or what you actually said was, was basically like, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I can do this. Mm-hmm. And there was a little bit of a, you did this to me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I can do this. You did this to me. And then you held the baby and you said, let's do it again. <laughs> Who, do you remember which baby that was? I don't remember. I remember another time. <laughs> I've always wanted to be, as the father of the child, I have always wanted to be right there. I told the midwives, we, we had midwives help us. Uh, and I always said, unless there's an emergency, don't intervene. I want to be the first to touch our baby. I want to be the one to catch the baby. Mm-hmm. And I remember, I, <laughs> I don't remember which baby this was either, but I, the baby was crowning. Yeah. And I, I took out some holy water and I just blessed the baby's head. And I said, honey, I feel the head. Uh-huh. And you said, you feel the head. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What do you think I'm what feeling? What do you think I'm feeling? <laughs> So there is there is travail in all of this, but great, great joy. And it is a profound mystery. Erica, you, my dear sister, right now, you are an icon of the incarnation. You are an icon of Mary's yes to the world. John Paul II says that the battle for human life, the battle between good and evil is in some way focused in on or concentrated in on or revealed in and through woman's yes to life in the womb. And he, he says, I was just reading this yesterday because I'm, I'm working on a new course for the Theology of the Body Institute on the Blessed Mother. 
and I was reading through John Paul II's document on the dignity and vocation of women. I can't urge people enough to read that document. Uh, we can put it in, a link to it in the show notes. It is so, so powerful, this document. And he says that, and this is back to the question and any reflection I might be able to offer as a father. He says that, obviously, the woman is much more intimately involved with the process of bringing a child into the world. You carried our children, Wendy. I did not. Right. Uh, obviously, I played my role, but the role I played was very small compared to the role you played in bringing these children into the world. And he says, in light of this, he says, this is a lesson. This is something we must learn. This is God's design. This is not the end result of some random evolution that women got stuck mm -hmm. doing this. This is part of God's loving design and that the husband must learn the mystery of the child and what it means to be a parent through the woman, because it's much more in your makeup. Mm. You are designed for this in a way that I am, I am not designed for. And there's a mystery in that difference that needs to be honored. And he says, it's a challenge to the man. This is the whole mystery of motherhood and conception and carrying the life in the womb is a challenge to the man to learn how to love how to be a man. And I would say in light of what you were saying earlier, Wendy, about the yes to the child in the womb, that we really tried in all of our pregnancies to enter into that together. Mm -hmm. In our very marital embrace, to give that yes. Mm -hmm. To say, yes, Lord, Lord and giver of life, if it is your will, let there be life. Mm -hmm. Let there be life. That should become a prayer of every married couple in their union. And right, thanks be to God, it's not always the will of the Lord that a child come to be in every union. Uh, you know, married couples would have hundreds and hundreds of children if that were God's will, that every act lead to a child. It's only been God's will, to our knowledge, mm -hmm. five times, mm -hmm. to our knowledge, it's been God's will that a new life come to be. And there can be, you were struggling, Erica, with two years of infertility, still, we have to be in that posture, if it be your will let there be life. Here we cannot grasp at a life coming into being through reproductive technologies that replace the sexual act as a means by which the child is conceived. Please, please, please read my chapter from Good News About Sex and Marriage on reproductive technologies. Anybody out there who has questions about this? If a reproductive technology replaces the sexual act as the means by which the child is conceived, then we're playing God. We're grasping after that life. We're demanding a life come into being. All we can do in the marital embrace is say, Lord, if it be your will, we can optimize the conditions. We can make sure we're coming together in the fertile time. If a woman is unable to ovulate for some reason and she can take a drug that would help her ovulate and the child is conceived through the marital embrace, that's all fine and good. That's all within the realm of, of God's order. But if we're replacing the sexual act as the means by which the child comes into being, then we're grasping. Similarly, again, in that disposition of, of that honest prayer, Lord, if it be your will, let there be life. We can never intervene in the marital act itself to prevent a life from coming to be. We're not obligated to engage in the marital act 
If you have a good reason not to bring a life into the world, then don't engage in the act that brings children into the world. But if you're going to engage in the act, you must at least be willing to say, Lord, if it be your will, let there be life. And that's the yes that we're talking about. And when that's our disposition in the marital embrace, then the child conceived, the yes continues. And you and I really tried to enter into that as a married couple when you were pregnant. And we obviously, we still have these five children, so the yes goes on, right? Yes. The yes of our marital union that led to each of our children becomes the yes that we give now when one of our children is struggling with this or that and it means a sleepless night or it means a, whatever you have to suffer mm-hmm. being a, hu- a husband and a wife and a mother and a father. That's a continuation of that yes. And I think there's something deeply reassuring in that child's psyche in the womb. I really believe the child feels these things in the womb at a deep, deep level if there's been a yes, Mm. a wholehearted yes of the mother and the father to the existence of that child. Do you want to share anything about naming, which obviously is a thing that comes up during pregnancy as parents, and and perhaps it anticipates our role as parents as a, a joint activity and a unique affirmation of each child. Um, It's a daunting responsibility mm -hmm. to give a child a name that they'll carry for the rest of their lives Mm -hmm. that will be so integral to their identity. What a responsibility that is, Mm. Uh, not to be taken lightly. And I I do remember being prayerful about the names for each of our children. And I remember a moment when we named our firstborn, you know, obviously, well, maybe not obvious today with ultrasounds, but we never knew the sex of our children Mm -hmm. intentionally. We wanted to wait until birth to know that was just our preference. I'm not making some moral judgment on that at all. That was just our preference. So we would always come up with a boy name and a girl name because we didn't know. And I remember wrestling. If we had a boy first, I wanted to name him John Paul after my love for the Holy Father. But I was also nervous about it. Because there are so many John Pauls out there, you know, in the Catholic world, Catholic friends that we had, lots of kids named John Paul for the same reason. And I I was concerned about our son wanting to know his uniqueness. And But then when push came to shove, I thought, no, this is the right name. This is the right name. This is the right way of honoring what John Paul II has done in our lives Mm -hmm. and in our marriage. And we did indeed have a boy, and so he got the name John Paul. Mm-hmm. Then Thomas, it's Thomas Moore West, our, our second son. And there was a story there that we wanted to name him. Uh, I, we both always considered Thomas Moore a martyr for the truth of marriage. Mm-hmm. And in our day and age, we, we need more people who are willing to put their neck out, right. as Thomas Moore did, for the truth of marriage. So that's where that came from. Then uh, Beth was, you want to tell that story? Yeah, we had been really blessed by the writings of Elizabeth Lesur, mm-hmm. who was a French woman of the late 1800s, who was a married woman who had a deep faith and had a, a husband who was kind of an atheist, or was an atheist, and m- many of their friends were, and it caused her a lot of suffering to be married to this person who didn't share her faith, and yet 
Um, she really learned to love him, even though he caused her pain about her faith. And uh, she died fairly young, and he found a journal, a prayer journal of hers, and encountering her faith and how it enabled her to love him changed his heart after her death. Yep. So she was a great hero to us in terms of living something just extraordinary in her faith as a married woman. And so um, Beth is named after her. And then Isaac, remember remember where we were? <laughs> <laughs> we were actually at a restaurant called Isaac's while I was pregnant. God can work through very <laughs> mundane situations. But, you know, the funny thing was that as a child, you had a great devotion to St. Isaac Jobs. Yeah, I loved Isaac Jobs. And uh, seeing that name in the restaurant kind of brought that to mind. Yeah. Uh, so we, and it resonated as, a, yeah, I would love to name a son if we have another boy after this great, yeah, warrior. He was a real champion of the Native American people. Mm -hmm. And he suffered greatly at their hands, but with great love for them. Mm -hmm. I just felt like a right fit. Yeah. And then Grace... Her middle name's Victoria. We named her after the promise of Fatima that in the end, my immaculate heart will triumph. Mm -hmm. Grace Victoria comes from that. So each of our kids' names have great significance. We just share in our story that may or may not be applicable to, maybe you just like a name. <laughs> you know, maybe that's, that's fine enough if you just like a name. But we took that approach and certainly encourage parents out there to be prayerful about naming your children. God has a name for each of us, right? Mm -hmm. I, I was on a retreat years ago in which the priest leading it asked me to ask God what he calls me. And that took me to a whole new level of understanding the significance of a name. So maybe I'll hold that out to anybody out there, especially maybe if you've struggled with your name. I've struggled with my name, actually. That's another story for another time. But what does God call us? It may be the very same thing our parents named us, but it might be something else. Mm. Yeah, that's a great question to ask. So anyway, we are thankful, Erica, for your questions. I keep you in your pregnancy, your Bless child, you, bless you, bless you, you icon of the incarnation. Mm -hmm. Next question is from Raphael. Raphael says, I know Christopher loves movies. I would like to know what does he think about the healing path shown in the movie, The Shack? He asks, is it really possible to forgive someone that kidnaps, rapes, and kills your daughter? Mercy, mercy, mercy. I know Raphael. Hello, Raphael. I was just with Raphael a few weeks ago in Madrid, Spain. That's the Raphael. That is. He, he told is. me how much he loves our podcast and that he had submitted a question about The Shack. So I haven't seen the movie, nor have I read the book, but I do know the basic premise of the story that has to do with, just as Raphael said, uh, forgiveness in such a horrific, horrific circumstance. Is it possible? Yes. Is it easy? Heck no. But this takes us to the real depth of what Jesus lived through in his dying for us, he became our sin. There's a, a mystery here, unfathomable. But the, the, the physical wounds of Jesus, the physical suffering of Jesus, is just the outward sign of the inward suffering he bore. 
I had a priest friend of our families years ago who gave this image to try to convey what was going on. He said, imagine the weight of the universe. Imagine the universe is a pyramid that comes to a point. And that entire weight of the entire universe, that point, so the pyramid's upside down, and the weight of that pyramid is piercing the heart of Christ. Mm. And that's an image that stayed with me to try to convey what was the piercing of his heart. He bore every suffering of every human being from the beginning of time to the end of time. And he transformed it into glory, which means there, there are, this is the horror that is part of reality, that there are people who get raped. There are people who get murdered. This is real. This horror is real. Is forgiveness real in that circumstance? Is forgiveness possible in that circumstance? If it is not possible in that circumstance, then is it possible at all? Is forgiveness just based on the, well, you didn't hurt me that much, so I can forgive you? Mm. No, no, no. Forgiveness goes the whole way or it doesn't go at all. Mm. And that doesn't mean it's easy. It's as hard as the crucifixion was hard. But I'm reminded here of a story, compelling story, amazing story. I've heard stories galore over these 25 years of doing this work of, of how theology of the body has blessed people, touched people. It's always encouraging, but this was one of the standout stories mm -hmm. that I've ever heard. It was just six months ago, maybe eight months ago, I was reading an article in the National Catholic Register, mm -hmm. and there was a, a picture of the person who wrote the article, and I thought that I recognized him. I'm pretty good with faces. I'm like, I know that face. How do I know that face? Anyway, this guy, in, we'll see if we can get a link to this article and put it in the show notes. Anyway, this guy was telling the story in this article I hope I have the, the, my memory is serving me correctly here, but his sister was kidnapped, raped, tortured, murdered. Am I, do, am I remembering that correctly? Mm -hmm. uh, if I'm getting some of the details incorrect here, forgive me, but that's my recollection. And it was, that, it was something that horrible, and it definitely included his sister was murdered. And this person goes on to share the journey he had been on of learning to forgive this person who did this to his sister, who was convicted and is in jail. And he started writing letters to this person in jail. And they now have a relationship. And he expressed not cheap forgiveness. There's no such thing as cheap forgiveness. Mm. If forgiveness comes cheap, it's not real forgiveness. This was the real deal. He had gone to the depths of the pain, the agony, and by God's grace had learned how to forgive this person. Over the course of many years. Over the years. course of many years. Yes, mm. yes. That's a very important point, very important detail in the story. I was so moved by this article and I thought I had recognized the picture of the person who wrote it. I, I looked him up online and was able to get in touch with him. I sent him an email telling him, first I said, do I know you? You look familiar to me, but thank you, thank you for writing this. I was so moved by your journey that I read about. And he wrote back to me, he said, yes, we know each other. I'm a student of yours. Years ago, I, I came to a seminar you gave and I've been reading your books. And he went on to tell me, that 
it was theology of the body and what he learned through the theology of the body that enabled him to go through the process of forgiving this person Mm -hmm. who had raped and murdered his sister. Mm -hmm. And he said, what I learned from theology of the body is that sin is the twisting of something good. Mm -hmm. And not that that's just basic Catholic theology, but he had learned that point of basic Catholic theology from me. And he said, I came to realize, I came to see as he was praying about this situation and how horrifically this man had wounded him and all of their family and killed his sister, raped his sister, mercy God, mercy God. He came through a prayerful journey uh, of giving this all his pain and all the rage that you have to process, giving that to God, giving that to Jesus. He said, I had some kind of vision of this man and his pain and what he had been through. And, and this is a miracle of grace. It's, this is right out of the catechism. I urge you to look this up. I, I imagine I've shared this in previous podcasts because it's one of my favorite quotes from the catechism. But it's in the section of the catechism where we're praying the Our Father, and it's the section of the Our Father that says, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And the catechism says, it is not in our power to feel or to forget an offense. When someone has wounded us, it's not in our power not to feel it or to forget it. But the heart that offers itself to the Holy Spirit, and this is what this guy did, he offered his pain. He offered what he was going through to the Holy Spirit. The catechism says, and this is what this guy experienced, the Holy Spirit transforms the pain into compassion. Why do people do horrible things to other people? Because people have done horrible things to them. People who cause pain to other people are in deep, deep pain themselves, and they end up dumping their pain on other people. So the pain that this student of mine was feeling, it was a taste of the pain that this murderer was in himself. Only the Holy Spirit can reveal that, and only the Holy Spirit can turn that pain into compassion. And the catechism goes on to say, I believe it's Catechism 2843. We'll look that up, the right reference, and put it in the show notes. But Catechism goes on to say that the memory itself, the pain of the memory itself gets transformed into intercession. That's what this guy experienced. This is what he went through. He opened his pain, he opened his heart, and he learned to forgive. And it's not cheap, but this is real. This is how we change the world, by entering into that kind of mercy. It's real. It's real. If it's not real, and I'm hanging it up, because I need that kind of mercy. Mm. We all need mercy at those depths. I'm not saying I'm a a murderer, but I'm a broken human being. Mercy is necessary in all of our lives. And if we start saying, oh, I'm not as bad as that person, then we don't really understand the depth of our own broken humanity. We may not have engaged in something as horrible as rape and murder, but the potential is in us. And if we've not done it, guess why we haven't done it? By God's grace. If we don't realize the the role of grace in both preventing us from these horrors or forgiving those who have committed these horrors, or if we don't recognize the role of grace, then we're patting ourselves on the back and we're raising ourselves higher than other people. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. That's what I'm trying to say. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. We are all in need of God's mercy. Mm -hmm. 
Yes, thank you, Raphael, for bringing that up. And it is an interesting question, especially in light of that story, which so touched both of us very recently. Its counterpoint to that movie is certainly hard to mistake. It's yeah. very beautiful. Yeah, I think in light of the fact that uh, we went too long in our last podcast, <laughs> that I'm looking at the clock and we should probably wrap this up, even though we've only answered two questions, but yeah. they are both meaty ones. The first one had two parts. That's right. There you go. Three first questions. one had two parts, so we can, we can count that as three yes. questions. Hey, guys, I have an invitation for you. The Theology of the Body Institute likes to do pilgrimages, and we are leading a pilgrimage this October to Mexico City, and we're going to be there over the feast day of St. John Paul II. From October 18th to the 23rd, we are going to visit the Tilma of Our Lady of Guadalupe. We're going to be reflecting together on the theology of the Tilma and how the Tilma reveals the theology of the body, and how John Paul II's theology of the body also illuminates the Tilma. We've done this pilgrimage before. This is our second time doing it. It was a life-changing experience for everybody who attended in, uh, gosh, I think it was 2016 when we did it the last time. So this year, 2019, October 18th to the 23rd, and February 15th to the 25th of next year, we are leading a pilgrimage to the Holy Land. You can learn more about both of these pilgrimages at tobpilgrimages.com. Please prayerfully consider coming with us. These are life-changing experiences. It's different than just sitting in a classroom with me. That's one kind of experience. But when we travel together to these holy sites, these holy places, and we offer reflections on the theology of the body in these contexts, it's a whole new experience. The, remember earlier, was it was it our last episode or this? Yeah, it was the last episode I was talking about backpacking trips as a kind of sacrament of the interior journey. Pilgrimages. This is what a pilgrimage is. This is what a pilgrimage I said pilgrimages in the plural, and then I said this is what a pilgrimage is. Sounded like the same thing. Anyway, this is what a pilgrimage is. It's an outward sign of the interior journey. Prayerfully consider coming with us. And thank you, everybody for your patronage of the Theology of the Body Institute. If you would like exclusive content on Theology of the Body and exclusive videos of formation, exclusive Facebook group where I chime in and post videos, please consider becoming a patron of the Theology of the Body Institute. We cannot do this work without you guys. We love you. We bless you. Do not forget, you are an indispensable, irreplaceable, unrepeatable gift become what you are. Amen. Ask Christopher West comes to you from the Theology of the Body Institute with music by Mike Mangione and production by Sounder and Key. Christopher and Wendy hope the information presented is helpful to you, but remind you that they are not licensed counselors. If you're going through serious difficulty, you can find a list of trusted counselors and psychologists in the show notes. Anyway, this is what a pilgrimage is. That's where I got hit with a rock. <laughs>